You're listening to the podcast of The Branch in Ashland, Virginia. When we follow Jesus, the pullback to the lives that we once lived can be intense. Our friends, family, colleagues, and others may wish for the good old days, but in Christ we're made new, and those days should be gone. As Peter writes to the early Christians, he encourages them in living into this new life, even if it means dealing with the repercussions from all those who want us to live our old lives now. In the uh, film series, the John Wick film series, we follow a man who uh, is trying to get away from his old life. He's a... uh, of course, Sam puts a picture of the puppy up there, right? Um, he is a, an assassin, who a hired assassin who's trying to move on with his life. He's lost his wife, and um, he thinks that he's going to be able to turn this life away. And, and the son, the spoiled son of a Russian mob boss, um, wants his car. And uh, instead of taking no for an answer, he comes and breaks in the John Wick's house. He shoots the puppy. Sorry to spoil that. but um, And uh, steals the dog and beats John Wick up. And then that kind of sets off this chain of events that travels through four different movies um, as John Wick continues to try to get away from that old life, uh, the life that he had, and start afresh and start a new, you know, leaving behind our old lives, the lives that we once lived, can be a difficult thing. And and movies in particular will show us different characters who who are trying to turn over a new leaf, so to speak. Um, we see John Wick. Some of us are fans of the Godfather movies and know that Michael Corleone, even though he feels like he begins to get out, he keeps being pulled back in uh, to that life. If you've seen the movie The Apostle, uh, the Apostle E.F. Um, is another one who tries to get away. And we could probably think of lots of different, not just movies, but stories about people who have said, hey, I want to make a change. How do I get away from what once was? You know, change isn't something that happens easily for us, especially when it's like an extreme life change. Many of us have been raised to think that if we're strong enough, if we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, um, then we can somehow or another conjure up this significant change in ourselves. But if we're honest, real life-altering change can only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. It can only happen through God in us, giving us the power, the passion, the persistence to to realize that kind of change. And in writing to early Christians, Peter knew that they were in an uphill battle, that they were living in a culture that was basically like their old lives. And they were being called now that they were following Jesus to live differently. And so how do you live in the midst of that culture that's like the way you used to be and try to do things differently? And Peter writes to them, trying to encourage them in the midst of that. And we pick up in First uh, Peter chapter 4, where Peter writes to, is continuing his letter that we've looked at, uh, to these early Christians. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn. We'll have it on the screen as well. 
Reading from the New International Version, this is what Peter writes. He says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you spend enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They're surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they'll have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel is preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body. But live according to God in regard to the Spirit. The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faith. I missed that part. Sorry, go back a second, because I missed that last line. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And so, then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Peter, all throughout this letter, has been reminding the early Christians that suffering is is part of their life. And he encourages them through that suffering to maintain and keep that same attitude that Christ had. You know, keeping an attitude like Christ is probably a little bit easier when things are going well. When there are no problems in our lives, when, when everything's kind of smooth sailing, I think it's a little bit easier for us. But when there's opposition, when there's conflicts, when we feel like things and people are hindering us and, and being difficult, it's easier to go back to our own ways. And that's why Peter's writing to them, knowing that, hey, You're making this big change. God is making this big change in you. And when you face opposition, it's easy to go back to the way things were. Peter says in verse 2 that the focus of our earthly lives changes. That when we follow after Jesus, we should no longer be living selfishly for ourselves but we should live for the will of God. And Paul, in his letter to the church in Galatia, in Galatians 5.24, said, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
You know, for some of us, that's like a daily occurrence. It's almost like we need that reminder that we have to crucify ourselves daily, that those old habits, they die hard, and we keep wanting to go back into them again. And while our flesh may be strong towards our old selves, Peter understands that another strong influence on us and on people is to fall back into their old ways is other people. That the influence of the old crowd, so to speak, is, is strong. For those who have come to faith later in life, you, know, you may encounter people who, who say, I knew you when. You know, if it's post-college, many people will say, hey, you know, oh, I knew you when you used to party a lot. And you look very different than you look now. And people may want that old person back. Sometimes we might feel that pull for that old person to come back again. And when we encounter those people, wherever it might be, when we're different and they're wanting us to be the same that we used to, it's a hard thing for us to deal with. We may encounter people in the places where we play or where we work or where we live, in school. It may even be within our families who are trying to pull us back towards that other way of living. And in verses 3 and 4, Peter names specific things that the early Christians used to be about. You know, and he uses word debauchery, lust, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Some of us might look at that list and be like, yeah, that's not me. Like, it's okay. I wasn't, that was never me, so I don't have to worry about that. Um, carousing and detestable idolatry. You know, but are we really free and clear of doing those things? Were we ever free and clear of doing those things? Peter uses that word debauchery. Dr. Dennis Edwards writes that that word is a broad term that doesn't focus on any one particular action, but is fundamentally a lack of self-constraint. Now, when we give it that definition, does it look different for us? If we think about this idea of of constraining ourselves or restraining ourselves, we live in a society that says, hey, you be you, you know, live your best life now. Don't put any restraints and constraints on yourself. Live the way that you want to. But that's not what we're called to do as Christians. We're called to kill ourselves and to not necessarily follow everything that, that we're feeling in the moment. That we're not pursuing everything just because it feels good. This whole idea of like you live your truth is not necessarily something that we're called to as followers of Christ. Living for Christ means that we're no longer living for ourselves. So why would we continue to let ourselves dictate the way that we live? Why would we continue to say, well, you know, I'm still, I'm going to live for God, but I'm still going to be the one that dictates this. And, and honestly, that's why it's a crucifixion thing, that we need to kill that because it's hard. That pull back towards selfishness is a hard thing. And Peter tells them that they may find themselves to be the subject of, of abuse because of that from the people that they used to be connected to because, as the verse says, they're surprised that you don't join them in those activities, that they want you to do that. This is peer pressure at its greatest, and it's not just for youth. We can say, oh, yeah, yeah, peer pressure, it's something that happens you know, in your middle school and high school, but no, it still happens. It may be a little more subtle, 
um, when you're adults, but it still happens. And there's that pull again to be something either that you used to be or to be what everybody else is being. And there's that gravitation back. We connect with people who knew us from a different life and they wonder why we don't do the same thing anymore. And I think Peter wasn't necessarily saying, hey, distance yourself completely from those people. I don't think he was saying that. And you know, this is the ever uh, continuing uh, dilemma of those who are followers of Christ. That what do you do if you're trying to be different? How do you live if you're trying to be different when you're surrounded by people who are living differently than you? Some people are really good at isolating themselves, at creating a whole other subculture uh, where you're only surrounded by like-minded and similar people. But I don't think that's what Peter was recommending. Because those other people still need to know the life-giving grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. How will they know unless we interact with them? Not just once in a while, not just knocking on their door and saying, hey, do you know Jesus? Or worse yet, hey, where are you going when you die? Rejection by people of our past leads Peter to write what he writes next. And he emphasizes the importance of getting along with those in the community of God, with those who are part of the church. Remember how he's emphasized that within this letter, talking about that we are a holy people, a chosen people, and we're being built together like building blocks with Jesus as the foundation. And in verse 7, he points to the reason being that the end of all things is near. Now again, you know, let's be real clear here. I'm not saying that we go out and say, hey, Jesus is coming back tomorrow, so you might as well sell everything that you have, repent or burn. Um, I, don't, I don't encourage that kind of approach. Um, I don't think Peter did either. We've probably all had some kind of experience. Either we've been the ones who did that um, or somebody did that to us. I mean, I just had, it must be because of how I look, but walking through the store the other day, somebody, uh, a lady offered me a little Bible, and she said, hey, do you you need this Bible? And I'm like, I guess I look like I need this Bible. Do I look like I need this Bible? Um, But we have to be really careful um, at how we present that. And yes, the end of all things is near, but um, how are we going to live? You know, there have been plenty of people who consider themselves prophets who have claimed that there was a specific date when Jesus re- was returning, and they've all been wrong. You know, Jesus himself, when he walked this earth, he told us that, hey, only the Father knows the date and the time when I will come. I appreciate Martin Luther, one of the fathers of the church, what, what he said about the approach to take. He said, preach and live as if Jesus was crucified yesterday, he rose from the dead today, and he's returning tomorrow. That we understand, yes, Jesus is returning. He's returning imminently. But um, we just live in such a way that we demonstrate and point to him in that. It's a good mentality for us to embrace, especially with our relationships with one another. 
Being in good relationship with one another is important. And he emphasizes that in verse 8. He says, love each other deeply. Why? Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, I'm not, again, encouraging us to say, okay, well, I'm going to love you because in a few minutes I'm going to stick a knife in your back. Now, that's not what Peter was saying either. Peter wasn't saying, hey, I'm going to love you so that when I screw you over in a minute, like everything's going to be good, right? Uh Uh-uh. No, Peter was saying, love each other deeply in such a way that when you inevitably disappoint and even sin against each other, then people will still know that you love them. That you've been demonstrating love all along and then should a time come when they're disappointed in you or you've hurt them or sinned against them that you can say, hey, I'm really sorry, I do love you. That's what I think Peter was saying. That we should be showing people love all along because love covers over a multitude of sins. And then Peter gets into this idea of gifting that he mentions the importance of us being given gifts but also to use those gifts. And what does Peter say? He says we, gift, we use our gifts for ourselves. No. He says use your gifts to serve other people. He says, if you speak, do it as if God is speaking through you. How different would we speak if we took that approach? I mean, man, that's convicting, right? In the car, in our homes. How would you speak if you're thinking, I'm speaking the words of God? If we serve, do it with the strength that God gives us and do everything, no matter what it is, for the glory of God. Are we serving God with our gifts? Anyone who knows me knows that this is something I'm incredibly passionate about. For us to understand, and yes, I use Clifton Strengths as a, a means by which we understand ourselves better, understand how God has wired us and knit us together so that we can say, no, hey, how do I use these gifts to get ahead in life? No. To say, hey, here's how God put me together, how he formed me, how he knit me together in such a way that I can take how he's created me and use it for the benefit of other people. And when we finish 1 Peter, we're going to be looking at that idea. Even within the Bible, there are certain roles and giftings that we've been given. And how does that work out for us? How do we see it work out in Jesus? How do we see it work out in us as individuals? How do we put those things together and function as the body of Christ? And that's where we're going next when we finish 1 Peter in a couple of weeks. But how are we using our gifts for the sake of those around us? And Peter reminds his readers again, and I wonder how they felt hearing this idea of suffering over and over again throughout this letter. But he tells them that you're going to suffer. And you would expect that they are expecting that as they're reading through this at this point. That they keep hearing this idea that, hey, you're going to suffer. And Peter reminds them yet again that when you suffer, that you join together, that you participate together in the sufferings of Christ. That when we celebrate Easter, even every month when we come together to the Lord's table and we take part in that and we remember His body broken and His blood shed, that we're participating together with Jesus in that. And Peter has told us and his readers before that there's a blessing in that. 
if we're persecuted, if we suffer, if we're insulted for the sake of Christ, we should consider that a good thing. Hard, but true nonetheless. And he tells them to wear that suffering as a badge of honor. Say, hey, you know what? Like if you're a thief or you're a scoundrel or whatever it is, don't wear that well. But if you're, being, if you're suffering because you're being associated with the name Jesus, then yes, put that on. Wear that like a badge of honor. And Peter tells them that judgment begins with the house of God. Whether we like it or not, the Bible tells us there's a final judgment. But the difference is judgment. We hear that word and and some of us, again, we bristle and we think to ourselves, oh, I don't like that word. I don't want to judge. And, you know, one of the most commonly uh, quoted or should I say misquoted verses in the Bible is judge not lest ye be judged yourself. And people who don't even believe in God throw that verse at everybody all the time. The fact of the matter is that there's judgment, but because of what we just celebrated a few weeks ago in Easter, that judgment is not guilty for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, judgment isn't just bad judgment. There's good judgment as well. If we think about it from a legal perspective, that those who are in Christ, because of what we celebrated at Easter, that Jesus, yes, died, yes, was buried, but then rose again, that those who are in Christ Jesus, the verdict, the judgment becomes not guilty. And we can receive that. Jesus' words on the cross where it is finished, and he didn't just say that because he was dying or because his earthly mission had been accomplished, but he was saying that because it was finished. He had completed that work so that those who are in Christ Jesus would no longer be seen as guilty. That final judgment will take place, but by grace and through faith in Jesus Christ, we can confidently know that judgment for those in Christ is innocent. Are we living as ones who have been declared innocent and who will be declared innocent? Are we living with compassion towards those who have yet, not yet been declared innocent? Are we living above reproach or in our actions and our attitudes and our behaviors? Do people see a difference in us? And Peter's charge to the early Christians is commit yourselves to your faithful creator and continue to do good. You know, it's a good way to live above reproach in such a way that people see us differently. That they say, hey, you don't act like other people around you. Peter's, ver- Peter's words in, in the second chapter in 1 Peter 2.12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, that's what we're called to. And Peter continues to repeat that main point over and over and over again. Live differently and you may suffer, but live differently anyway. Just because we may face suffering or, or persecution or other things for living differently, that's not cause for us to say, oh, yeah, I'm not gonna do it. I, I can't do that anymore. I can't do this. No, God promises that he will be with us in that suffering. He promises to give us strength through that suffering. And then he promises that in that association with Jesus, being in Christ Jesus, we're declared innocent. And so what do we do with all this? 
<clears throat> some questions for us and a statement for us too. How different do we look to the people from our old lives, from those around you? you know, if you see people who you haven't seen in a while, do they say, hey, you look different? And I don't mean like we got fatter or we got skinnier or whatever. No. Like, is there something different about us? The way that, that we act and behave. Do they see that? And how are we using our gifts for God's glory? And for the benefit of the people around us? Do we understand our gifts? Do we know how God's wired us? You know, ignorance is not an excuse for us to not be about the work that God's called us to. We can't say, well, I don't know who I am. Especially when you have somebody who's trying to help you understand that better. How do we understand ourselves and how God's wired us so that we can bring glory to Him and help others around us? And then, again, that reminder. And, you know, I've said this before. If we need note cards to put on our dashboards or our mirrors or whatever it is, our refrigerator, live differently. That's what we're called to do. That's what Peter has been saying throughout this letter to them. Hey, just live differently in such a way that people see a difference. You know, there's nothing better, and you know, this is part of the way that I'm wired, is like there's nothing better than treating someone different in a good way than what they're expecting from you. Because they're like, wait a minute, I just treated you like crap, and you're treating me like this? Wow, why? Oh, well, funny that you ask, you know? How are we living differently among people who aren't always kind and considerate and loving. Love covers over a multitude of sins, as Peter said. Are we living in such a way that we might point people to Jesus in the midst of it? Let me pray for us. God, this is a high, high calling. And we are incapable of living it on our own We're incapable of it because our strength and our flesh is imperfect and and broken still. And so we need you, Father, to do this. We need you more than ever in this. Yes, we'll still fall, we'll still make mistakes, we'll still sin, but God, we thank you for your grace. And we pray that you would just empower us, strengthen us, give us what we need in the midst of this journey, that we may live different lives and people might see you in the midst of it. So God, thank you. Take us, teach us, and may we acknowledge our own need for you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you feel the pull to live the way you did before you met Jesus? Are there others who want the old you back again? We're made new in Christ, and we should pursue that new life, even if it means persecution. We should use the gifts that God has given us to serve God and others. How are we doing with this? Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at thebranchashland at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, give us a review, and share with your friends and family. Thanks for listening. See you next time.